when each of them was ready to move away from the house, I made it very clear, speaking from the words of Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But choose you this day, Matthew. That's my oldest son. Choose you this day, Mackenzie. Choose you this day, Maxwell. Choose you this day, Sergio, who you will follow. But your mom and I, our, our course is set. Um, but maybe some of you tell a different story. Your story is not one of covenantal faithfulness to God. Uh, maybe as you look at what you have been given, um, maybe you're the one blazing the trail. You're the one on a new path. You're the one that decided by the grace of God and for the glory of God to abandon the wide road and to start this journey on a narrow road. Your legacy so far is just you. You begin to wonder, I wonder what kind of legacy will come after me. See, it's not just about, am I a good parent? I mean, I I get it. Like, that's kind of what the world might want to know. Have I been a good parent? Have I loved my children? Do they know that I love them and that I care for them and that I provide food for them? Did I give them clothing in a safe place? Have I done that? All wonderful things, but we didn't get... We didn't get all, um, uh, it's so different how the culture has changed. I want to say we didn't get all dressed up, but we don't really get dressed up anymore. But we didn't wake up early on a Sunday morning and do all of this, right? To come and hear how to be better parents, but how to be followers of Jesus Christ. So you have to ask that question. What kind of legacy, spiritual legacy, have I received and what kind of spiritual legacy am I leaving? And, and, and many of us not, are not only asking that question, but many of us have already lived long enough where we're dealing with, you know, you know what I wish I could go back and do? You know what I wish I could undo? You know, you know what I wish I would have spent more time doing? You know what I wish I had spent less time doing? I mean, all of these questions are, are questions that hopefully that we are asking as the spirit convicts us what does it mean to follow God and so Hezekiah is a great king and he's going to follow in this line of kings all descendants of David some good some bad some great some terrible and just when you think you can trust the fact that you've invested and you have done your best And therefore, I really think we've got a good thing going here. It completely falls apart. That's why the title of this message is The Fall and the Rise and the Fall of Judah. I could call it The Fall and the Rise and then the Fall and then the Fall and then the Fall and then the Rise and then the Rise and then the Fall and then the Rise and then the Fall and then the Rise and then the Rise and then the Fall and then the Fall and then the Rise and then the Fall and then the Fall and then the Fall of Judah. That's really what it was. That's that crazy legacy of up and down. It's, it's fascinating to know that evil kings have godly sons and godly sons who then become king have evil sons who become king. And so we start our story this morning and, and, and you, you can either turn there, but I would actually say just go to, go, you go to 2 Chronicles Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 34, and I want to read to you 
how the book of Kings describes kind of roughly the same time period. So you go to 2 Chronicles 34. I'll meet you there in a second. We're going to be talking primarily about King Josiah, who's a great king, very godly king. But he doesn't get there because he has godly parents. That's not the reason why. It's a good reminder that there truly is not an excuse that we could use before God that works. God, you don't understand, I had a terrible upbringing. God, you don't understand, I had a great upbringing. It doesn't seem to matter actually in the Bible. It seems to be just, I've seen the best become great and I've seen the great become terrible. And so here's what we actually see in terms of the description before um, Josiah assumes the throne. This is his grandfather. His grandfather's name is Manasseh. And so this would just be right after the time of King Hezekiah. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 55 years. First of all, it's interesting to note. He is about to be described as the worst king ever in Judah's history. He reigned the longest. If there's one thing we've learned in our series is it's never as simple as bad kings last like a week and a half in their office and good kings last forever because you know how God is. It's, it's, it's not that simple, is it? God has a plan. It's good for us to hold on to this. Like God has a plan beyond our ability to understand and that is why we need his revelation describing what he is doing and why and how he is doing it. Because without his revelation, you and I are stuck You and I are just trying to figure things out, and the only way I know how to figure things out is the best indicator of present performance is past performance. And God goes, yeah, I I get that. There's some some wisdom in that, but when I intervene, everything changes, right? And so here's how it begins, and this is found in 2 Kings chapter 21. You can follow it along on the screen. Manasseh was 12 years old, and he began to reign. He reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then notice how it ties this in. According to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. So this ties us into a bigger story. That Manasseh is king and that the people of Israel are part of a a larger story. We we, we describe it as the the meta-narrative, the the ultimate story of God, which is that God has a plan of purpose and redemption for the entire world. Israel is a part of that. They're not that. They're a part of that. And Israel was given an opportunity to live in a nation, the Holy Land, Palestine. And, And the Bible actually teaches, before we get to this account, that the people who lived there originally were exceedingly wicked. And God waited patiently for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before you say, wow, God flies off the handle. You wait 500 years. And then, and then, and then I think at least you and him can at least begin to have a conversation, although I would recommend you do that carefully. But you wait 500 years as injustice wells up. How many of you, like, you, you, you hear about an injustice that happens in America and you're mad that we haven't fixed it, like, in 10 years? Imagine waiting 500 years. And now the Lord brings his people up out of Egypt. He judges the Canaanites. And then his people decide, ah, we should live like them. 
Do you get, do you get the, the brokenness in this? Do you, can you hear the accusation in this text? You're the ones that I use to pronounce judgment upon this wickedness, and your response to this was to act just like them. Like, not only are you guilty of acting just like them, but you knew better. I redeemed you. I, I brought you up out of slavery. I gave you this incredible opportunity, and now you, you are just acting just like them? Now, I know what you might be thinking. Yeah, but they're God's people, and, you know, like, God has favorites. No, he doesn't. The book of James actually tells us that God does not have favorites. God does not look at anyone and say, oh, yeah, I just have a thing, a guy that's got a special thing in my heart for you, and I really don't care what you do. You don't need to love me. You don't need to honor me. You don't need to. You're just, we're good. The Bible actually warns to be very careful presuming upon such a, um, a privilege. And so here is King Manasseh doing all the despicable practices of the nations that the Lord drove out before him. It continues down in verse 9 of that same text. Prophets go to him. God appeals to Manasseh. And look at this. But they did not listen. Verse 9. And Manasseh led them astray, the people of God. Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done, whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Not, not only did Manasseh do that which was evil, but he actually began to invent ways to do new kinds of evil. It wasn't just that they were doing that which was evil. They were actually like celebrating in that evil. They were asking other people to support them in their evil. How many of you are going, okay, is he talking about us? Is he talking about today? No? I mean, it might sound like it. But this is a real time and a real place. Thousands of years ago. And what you and I have an opportunity to do is to realize that the God that never changes, this is how God responded to this people. And therefore, as you and I live our lives, as you and I move in and out, but mostly in culture, we have an opportunity to know what is going on around us because God has revealed the truth about himself and the truth about how he has acted with others. Oh, the goodness of God's grace. Oh, the privilege to be able to, to read the scriptures where you and I can take a look and begin to gather insight into how God has acted in the past so that you and, my, you and I might know how to live today. That you and I can say, well, if this is what God did then, what makes us think that he wouldn't do any different now? Like if this is how God has shown his faithfulness, if God is this patient, we can look at a few hundred years of a nation's history and believe, wow, but if, if we turn to the Lord, will God not show us kindness? We can actually begin to believe, like, if this is how God has acted, is, has, is God different today? And by the way, the answer is, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not different. And you'll see why this matters so much. So Manasseh is this terrible king, and he has a son named Ammon. And Ammon, it's a short little story about him. He's just bad. He, he, he rules, not much is known about him. He rules, he's bad, he dies. He's buried with his fathers. And then there's this young boy. You can always begin to ask yourself, you know, 
um, for the most part, right? Is, is this a, is this a, was this a good person in the Bible or a bad person in the Bible by how common that name is today, right? We've talked about this before. Not a lot of young women walking around. My name is Jezebel, Jezebel Smith, right? <laughs> Doesn't happen. Judas might be a little bit of an exception because not only are there some bad Judases, there are some good Judases, right? But even, even the name like Benedict, uh, you know, not a lot in America, maybe over somewhere else, right? Europe, but not here. Not Benedict. Josiah. Isn't that a beautiful name? It just is. I've always loved the name Josiah. This was a king that I didn't know a lot about. I knew a lot about his father. Well, not his father, but the Bible describes him as father. His father, David. It's actually not his father. It's like his great, 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 great grandfather, David. But the Bible describes him as his father, David. I knew a lot about David, but I didn't know a lot about Josiah. And I still remember as a little boy reading the story of Josiah and just thinking, why don't we know about this young man? Well, we will today. Josiah, in in this list where there has been a recent memory of some great kings, Uzziah and Hezekiah, and then you have this long list of terrible kings, Manasseh and Ammon, and then now all of a sudden we see a shift again. Now, now what what causes the shift? I love how the Bible doesn't go, and yeah, we really have no idea why anything changed. We're just, we're as confused as you are. (laughs) No, the Bible describes it. So 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 3, maybe a verse that you need to underline. Don't know if it's a memorizable one. Um, I mean, you can memorize it if you would like, but it's, it's definitely one that you might want to go back to. There are a couple of key words I want to notice in this text, but look at it in verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a boy, so he's not eight years old, but it's the eighth year of his reign, he's still a young boy, he began to seek began to seek the God of David, his father. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Like, how many of you are wondering, like, what, what caused that? Like, where did that come from? How, how does this guy from a terrible past and a terrible, I don't know, maybe because of that. I don't know, maybe, maybe Josiah was just looking around at the brokenness, looking around at the fear, looking around at the wickedness, looking around. Manasseh, his grandfather, one of the things that Manasseh was most noted for doing was taking his children and offering them up to other gods. Maybe, maybe Josiah saw that, recognized that, saw that going on. It wasn't that far from the, the, the palace where he was, just across this valley, over in the Kidron Valley. And the, the smell of the burning of flesh for, the, of the, for animal and, and, and human sacrifices would probably kind of go waft down through the Kidron Valley and he could maybe even smell it. I have no idea. He looks around. Maybe he's heard stories of a, of a time when things were better. Maybe David's name still was kind of reverberating through. When will we have a king like David? When will we have a king like David? I don't know. But I do know this. There was a young boy named Josiah and in the eighth year of his reign, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And then I think this is interesting. And then the 12th year, which means how many years passed? Remember I've warned you, be very careful like reading the Bible and think it's always like, and then they did this, and then they did this, and then they did this. And it's like it's moving like at the speed of, of normal time. Imagine if I said to you, I'm, a beginning to, I'm gonna begin to seek God now. 
just want you to wait there for four years. So you can gotta get a sense of the time, you know. How many of you go, seriously, we're gonna see here for four years? Four years later, the text tells us. And in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah, that's the, the province or the state, and Jerusalem, that's the city, of the high places, the ashram, and the carved and the metal images. So what we actually see from the ashes of a child-sacrificing, idolatrous, um, evil, wicked nation, and from its kings is a young man who decides, I'm, I'm returning to God. And then it seems to take a while, but finally he begins to do it. And so um, for those people that actually believe like God really just loves people who seek him, actually what the Bible describes is seek him and then when you find him, then you will experience him and then you will walk in him. It's not just a notable thing that what Josiah did was he, he, would, he, he, he sought after God. End of story. There's a lot of us that are really, really content with, um, with a heart for God that never really experiences the fullness of a faithful life. And that's not what this story is about. And maybe what you need to remember is just the value of seeking God, the value of pursuing him. But it's not pursuing him for pursuing sake. He pursues him and then he begins to act. He begins to purge. And then as the story continues, um, what, what, what he basically begins to do is he begins to, to, to reform all of the religious and all of the economic practices of his people. And so obviously, you can imagine this, a young boy, um, he begins to say, okay, we're going to tear down these high places because obviously this kind of idolatry is evil. We need to get back to the way we used to worship. Speaking of that, when was the last time anybody cleaned out the temple? Um, I, I, I had the, the privilege of, of working in a, a small little church in Illinois while I was in graduate school. And when I went there, when my wife and I first went there, uh, we, were, we decided to move into this, um, this parsonage, right? Do you remember when the days when churches had parsonages? So we, we moved into this parsonage, and, and the church was really afraid that we, when we saw the parsonage, we wouldn't want to go there. My wife and I are from, like, big cities, and so we're not used to small towns. We thought Joplin, Missouri, which is, what, 50, 60, 70,000 people, that was kind of like a weird kind of wake up for us because we're used to much bigger places. But we moved to this town of 250 people with this small little church that way back in the 70s was running 125. Now it was down to about 25. And nobody had lived in the parsonage for a while and it didn't look good. I still remember talking to the elders and they were like, hey, we're really, really sorry that this is what this place is. We're really, really sorry about what this place looks like. We're really, need, they did not know that we were moving from a mobile home in Joplin, Missouri, which means we're grateful for anything, okay? And we go into this church and I'll never forget just the, the, um, the, the stories about what it used to be like. They, they began to build, and, and back in the 70s, when a new uh, kind of a business came to the area, the church began to grow, the city began to grow. And so they built like a half gym, and they built all these classrooms, and then the business closed, and the town began to change, and story after story, and next thing you know, it just didn't, didn't ever kind of rise to the occasion. And I'll never forget walk, looking at that church and, and being in that town and just thinking, Wow, there probably was a day when this was kind of cool, but it's not today. 
And Josiah walks into a situation like that where he sees like remnants of a great day, but it's all broken. And so one of the first things he does is he says, we should probably go clean out the church, the temple. We should probably go back to the temple and begin to, you know what they find when they begin to clean out the temple? They find all this money that people had been donating that was just left there. And they're like, okay, well, this was supposed to be used. Yeah, but nobody even comes here anymore. I mean, I, I'm trying to imagine, how many of you, when you think of the temple, you think of this great, beautiful place? No, this is a place that is completely left in disrepair. They find all this money. They begin to, they begin to clean it up. And then while they're cleaning it up, I don't know what, back in a closet somewhere, I guess, right? Every church has one of these. They find the book of the law. They, they find... The writings of Moses, they find the story of God's covenant promise, and when they find it, they're like, okay, I bet you Josiah's going to really, really like this. And so they come back to Josiah, and they say, Josiah, we need to read you this. The, the Lord has spoken, and these are the words that the Lord has spoken to Israel, and he begins to read to, the, or the, the man begins to read to Josiah all of the words of the law, and the law basically say like this, choose for yourself life or death. Follow me and you will find life. Do not follow me and you will find death. And Josiah begins to do the math. And Josiah begins to recognize, wow, maybe that's the reason why we're broken here. So I, I love to just stop and say, listen, it's not just about at one particular moment in time figuring things out. It is about four years later beginning to purge and then a number of years later discovering the law and then a number of years later, it really reminds us that the Christian journey, a life devoted to Jesus Christ, is not just an off-on switch. It's a journey. Like it's this long walk. It is this, uh, in, the, in the words of a great writer, Eugene Peterson, it is a long obedience in the same direction. See, what really concerns me is that there are a lot of people who believe that since they didn't did, done good, gotten saved, or however they want to say it, right? They've already done that. They fail to realize all that God has in store for them. I've been here now long enough, it's, it's interesting to hear people describe, well, man, I'll tell you, years ago, my wife and I were really involved here. <laughs> man, back in the day, man, my wife and I, we were here doing everything. What are you doing now? Oh, not much. See, Josiah is on this, this journey of obedience, Josiah's not interested in a moment. He's interested in this journey. And when he hears just how broken his life is and how broken his nation is, and when he hears how far they are from God, he doesn't go, man, that makes me so mad. I really need to tweet about this. You know, I really need to, I need to email somebody else and complain. This is ridiculous. By the way, that's kind of what we know how to do nowadays. We know how to complain. We know how to complain about how bad things are going. Can I, can I give like a biblical alternative to that? And this was really convicting to me this week. Because sometimes I can look at the brokenness of culture. I can look at the brokenness of my church. I can look at the brokenness of my family and just go, who raised these clowns? And, and forget the answer to that is me. Look at what Josiah does. 
verse 19 of verse 34. After he hears the word of the Lord revealed to him. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Like he just, he was um, broken to the core. It wasn't society's fault. It wasn't another generation's fault. All Josiah knew to do was to repent. He knew how to break, not pass the buck. He knew how to break. I'm telling you, if, if we are ever going to be the kind of church that brings glory to God and a difference in our community, where our faith has real substance and power, it is when we learn to do more than critique or to evaluate but it is when we learn how to tear our clothes, when we learn how, learn how to weep and wail over the brokenness that is not just around us, but that is within us. But it doesn't end there. It, it, it's not just about, and, and now he's totally broken. Is that it? No, no, no. Look how it just continues on. Verse 21. Go inquire, he says. This to one of the prophets. Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel. That's because they're already been taken away by the Assyrians. And in Judah, concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us. Because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. Go and inquire. Go and inquire. So in the middle of Josiah... Repenting and reforming in the middle of Josiah saying, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord and I'm going to do everything within my power to make a difference. Not going to complain about brokenness. I am going to do everything I can and as king I can do a lot. And we begin to see a trajectory back towards God, toward his father David, not his father Ammon or his grandfather Manasseh, but his father David, straight towards Yahweh God. He inquires of the Lord and, and he actually finds out, you're on the right path, Josiah. But Josiah, what you're doing is right. Repenting and purging and appealing and breaking and committing and worshiping me is the res right response. And, and, and here's where I would have thought, just like I, just like I think I know how the Bible's going to go. And then Israel um, turned the corner, and that's why they're still around to this day. <laughs> Listen to what the inquiry reveals back, verse 36, or verse 26 through 28. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me, and you have torn your clothes, and you have wept before me, I also have heard you, declares Yahweh. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes will not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place and its inhabitants. Isn't that kind of a bittersweet moment? 
I, I, I have always believed somehow that if I just did everything that I could do and if I just did it the best that I could do it, then everything would work out. Anybody else? Like, I, I just believe that, like, if I, if I um, be the parent the way I want to be the parent and if I just um, act in my marriage, like, I can make this work. And, and you know why maybe this church isn't doing as well as I think it, it could be doing? It's because I'm not working hard enough. And maybe if I and then those around me, maybe if the elders, if we just got together, and, and, and I mean, I'm not saying that we should just, like, just work generically, but no, I think we should, like, we should pray and then we should repent and then we should maybe have a compassion week. No, 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 three weeks of compassion. And then we'll raise, like, all these kids up and then we're gonna become more missionally involved and then, and then it's going to be better and then everything will work out good forever. Can I get and then... And then everything happened. How does the end of the song go? The, those stories, um, forever and ever, it was like a wonderful thing. I can't remember how it goes, but you know what I'm talking about? And then they were happily ever after. That's what it was. Happily ever after, right? Is that, can I have that now, Casey? Can I have that now? And the answer is, it's up to God. And this is one of the most powerful lessons that we see. Is Josiah does everything Right? And he still cannot save everyone. Which means that, A, I want you to know that truth. Like, I, I want, I, I think it's so important that we as followers of Jesus Christ don't become overly weighed down by, there are 400 million children right now in the world who are facing extreme poverty, like life or death poverty. 400 million Compassion, the organization, is the largest organization in the world that is reaching kids. Do you know how many they're reaching? Of the 400 million, and they're the largest? Are you ready for this? Two. I, I don't think, I see their chip. I don't think like all the houses are taken care of, even in Stillwater. And even if we can take care of Stillwater, there's a whole lot more on the other side of that. Is that true? Wow. The first day we did this, there was a young girl that was standing down front. You know, we really want to encourage you to, to take a packet. And so the first Sunday, um, parents and especially kids, really intrigued by all these beautiful faces. No, not that one. Oh, she's cute. And so they're kind of going through the list. And there was a little girl. Um, I think she's about seven years old. She's right here. And there was a, a picture, her sister brought her up and said, hey, I think we should maybe sponsor this one. And this little girl standing right here looks at this one and goes, no, not that one. Maybe another one. And I, I happen to be standing right here, which is a dangerous thing when children are around, right? And so I said to this little girl, I said, like, listen, sweetheart, um, you're gonna put her back? Well, yeah, we'll probably just get another one. And I said, okay, then here's what I, here's what I would like. You. Her mom was there, okay? Her mom was right there. She could have intervened at any time. And her mom knows me, so she knows I have no idea where this is going. <laughs> but I said to the, and let me finish the story before. Don't walk out in the middle of the story, please, okay? So as she's sitting there, I, I said to her, I said, um, then here's what I would like for you to do. I would like for you to look this little girl in the face and tell her that you're not going to feed her that you're not gonna clothe her, that you're not gonna help her with books, that you're not going to, will you do that? What? 
Yeah, like you're going to put this one back. And I know, I'm not saying you're not going to get it. I need, I need you to look this little girl in the face. And I need you to say, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. I'm not going to feed you. I'm not going to care for you. This little girl looks at me and goes, are you serious? I said, yeah, because right, that's what you're going to do. You're going to put it back. And she swallowed hard and went, I'm not going to feed you. <laughs> I'm not going to put clothes on your back. I'm not going to help you get an education. And then she said, but I'm gonna help one of your friends. <laughs> and then I said to her, but isn't it your responsibility to care for her? Okay, this seven-year-old's in trouble, right? Isn't it your responsibility to care for her? And she looked at me and said, I don't know. And I said, I do. It's not. It is, I'm not trying to get her off the hook. I just promise you it's not. I, I can actually look at, 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 at each and every one of you and say it's not your responsibility. And I'm not kidding. I'm not being sarcastic. I, I, I believe it's not your responsibility. Not your responsibility. Not your responsibility. It's not your responsibility. It's not your responsibility. It's not. You know that, right? Well, wait, Jim, how can you say that? Well, I mean, first of all, let me ask you, do you think it's your responsibility? If you actually think it's your responsibility and you don't take one, then, then, I, then I'm, now I'm completely confused. I genuinely believe it's not your responsibility. But guess whose it is? You ready for this? It's God's. I looked at that young little girl and I did not want her walking away thinking she was the savior of the world. She's not. And I looked at her and I said, listen, the, the beauty of this, sweetheart, and the beauty of this, the beauty of what God is doing, the beauty is what, God uses people like Josiah. God uses people like Jim and Andrea Johnson. God uses people like, but, but we're not the answer. Like, we're not the solution. And sometimes it's one of the most difficult things to hear that. Like, go inquire of the Lord, and the Lord says, listen, what you have done is good, what you have done is proper, and you will die, and I will let you lie with your fathers in peace. But judgment is coming upon this nation. That's the story of Israel. And you and I need to hear this morning, particularly... It is not our responsibility, it is God's. And I do believe God has now put on Sunnybrook, which then there is some responsibility that we have that we need to do something about this, right? A church? I need a response, please. Okay, so we do need to do something. Like I, that, that's, what, that's, what, that's what that tension is, yes. But I feel like I need to do something. Well, then I think you really need to do something. Like I, I look at all that God has given me and I really feel compelled to do something. Well, then yes, you should do something. I have read the words of the law and I feel like I need to tear my clothes and I need to repent. Yes, you need to do something. But let us never forget that all of this is under the complete control of our sovereign, loving God. So we can never forget that. Like as you're parenting and you wanna pull your hair out or their hair out, right? Who's in charge of this? God. So then what do we do? We, we recognize that God's amazing plan always looks the same. Luke 3, 8 says this. John the Baptist preaches this. What do we do? We bear fruit. Literally, that means we live very naturally and normally. We respond 
We bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And we don't say to ourselves, we are Abraham's children. He is our father. John the Baptist says, because I tell you that from these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. Well, what that tells us in Luke 3.8 is we can't just appeal to some kind of, hey, I don't need to deal with God. I don't need to respond to God. I don't need to care for things. I come from this long legacy of caring, and I'm just riding coattails. Can't do that. Can't do that. As I've told you before, I just kind of wish I could sit down with each and every one of you and just begin to talk about and walk through, like, what is... What does God desire of you? What is God's hope and dream? What is his, his passion within you? What areas of your life do you, and by the way, I'm, I'm willing to open up my life to you. What areas do we need to repent of and to appeal to God for? Acts 17, I'm gonna close with this. Paul is preaching to a bunch of lost people who are living in a broken time much like Josiah is. And he is preaching the gospel to them. And here is how he words God's plan. He says this, And he, that's God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries for their dwelling places. But why does God, how does God work in terms of like all the societies and how they work? This is what the Apostle Paul says. And God has done all this that they should seek him and perhaps feel their way towards him and then find him. Actually, he's not very far from every one of us. Wow, what a powerful reminder. Like what God did to to Josiah, like God may have already done to you or maybe God is about to do to you. The story's not just about Josiah. It is about the God of Josiah who's not very far from you. I know you don't have a family legacy. Listen, I had to spend a lot of time this week going, okay, uh, my last name isn't Weiss. Can I still be a Christian, okay? That's one of our, our, one of our two of our staff members are Weisses, and they're, they're this, this large family of Jesus followers that is just crazy big, and they're all really like Jesus. And I, for those of you that know that family, don't you feel like, wow, I'm not a Weiss. I wish I could be a Weiss, because if I was a Weiss, then I'd be part of this incredible legacy, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about? It's not about the Weeses. Don't tell Paul. He's not here right now. But don't tell him I said that. But it's not about the Weeses. Okay, you can tell him I said it. It's not about the Weeses. It's about God. And God has done all of this so that you might seek after him. And then what do we do? Verses 30 and 31 of that same text. And now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And by the way, his name is Jesus. And of this, he has given assurance of this by raising him from the dead. See, we have way more of the story than Josiah had. Josiah just had the law. You and I have the gospel of God. You and I, like Josiah, have been given a broken society. You and I have been given the tons of needs that need to be met. And they don't just surround this stage. And you and I have been given the opportunity to respond. And again, I want you to hear this. It is not your responsibility to fix the world or even to fix your own family. But it is your responsibility to deal with the good news of Jesus Christ. To repent. To weep. To tear your clothes as a sign of that repentance. 
And, 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 and I promise you, like, God will figure out what he's going to do with my great-great-grandkids. I doubt if I'll see mine. That's God's job. I don't know how that's all going to work out. That's his. But you know what I can do? I can begin a legacy that I can leave to them. I can choose this day that I will follow him. And you can too. You can too. I really wanted to weave together. Um, this is the last Sunday that we have for compassion. I really wanted to weave together as part of our commitment because it does. To, to repent and to bear fruit with repentance means that I'm going to recognize and I'm going to have a life that is, is different. And, and one of the ways, obviously, that that can be different is that you can be a more devoted and faithful reader of the Bible and prayer and, and worshiper. You can be all of those things but there also is a tremendous need that is before us. And I do want to encourage you, actually, to consider. Not, not because if you don't, no one will take care of these kids. Uh, no, I'm not going to lie to you. No, God's got these little children. Okay? And one of the ways God has these little children is I got Emma Judith. That's mine. That's the one Andrea and I are going to invest in. That's the one Andrea and I hopefully one day will visit. I've been to her church. I've met her pastor. But I, I, not that I remember. I've never met her. This is some pictures from our time there. I want to close when you seeing kind of how we ended up getting here. Uh, as you know, Compassion is an amazing organization. And we had an opportunity to go down there. This is her church, actually. These may be some of her friends. This is a house that we went to, had an opportunity to, to kind of see firsthand what it looks like. It's very real. If you've not done the Compassion Experience, I was amazed at how real that was. And then I couldn't help, as we were setting them up on Thursday, we have, by the way, for you, an air-conditioned generator for your experience. And I, I said to the rest of the staff, wow, we won't even pretend to visit these people's homes without air conditioning. problems are very real and I just as the church we have been given a responsibility to do something and all I'm asking you to do is pray I trust the Holy Spirit with you and I definitely um, trust you with the Holy Spirit I'm asking you to prayerfully consider now here, here's the good news is if today is a day that you, you still aren't ready to commit well the good news is um, as much as the, the thing will come down in the lobby and these will be on the front stage next week, we are not changing this. We're, you're going to be seeing in the bulletin, you're going to be hearing further updates where we are going to continually encourage Sunnybrook people to care about this particular need. But we really want this to fit into everything else that you're doing in your life. This isn't a hobby. This is a natural extension I believe this is a natural extension of people who say, I love God. He has been kind to me. I'd like to share that kindness with others. Amen? Let us bear fruit in, in, in connection to the repentance that we feel. For the glory of God, for the benefit of others, and for our greatest joy. Uh, lots of opportunities for you to sign up back there. There'll be someone down front if you'd like to sign up up here. Go in God's peace, and we will see you next Sunday.